Hi, my name is Cristina Buena. I am a PhD student at the University of Bucharest, Department of Philosophy. Um, I'd like to start by thanking both research teams from Oxford and from Bucharest for granting me the opportunity to speak in this uh, workshop. And uh, it's also a great honor for me to, to open this conference. So um, today I will approach a subject that I think has become a pressing issue on the public agenda. Um, more precisely, I will discuss the caveats of the influences new technologies have on user behavior. Um, and I will do this in order to point to, to some possible solutions for developing the tools we use in a socially responsible manner. So it seems that people are more and more concerned about uh, the new technologies because they start to notice their negative effects, among which the most pressing is the fact that users feel overburdened and at the same time dependent on these technologies because they say they elicit compulsive and irrational behaviors. So for example, in the New York Review of Books, uh, we are told that we are hopelessly hooked on the internet. Um, in E.ON magazine, uh, Michael Schulzan says that by 2015, it's already a platitude to describe the internet as distracting. The Atlantic, uh, in the internet age, companies live by the mantra, create an obsession, then exploit it. And also, the New York Times, there is no more urgent task than to think critically about the salience, even the tyranny of technology in individual and collective life. So it seems that all these statements um, represent people's reactions to a new trend in technology, which is called persuasive technology, uh, persuasive design, which, which is uh, intentionally meant to influence uh, uh, users' uh, behaviors or attitudes. So persuasion is uh, crucial when information is abundant, uh, as this is as uh, persuasion would be the only uh, key to capture users' attention. So every content producer will, of course, uh, want our, uh, our time and our attention, but in order to get it, they will have to first break through all the clutter that is today's internet. So uh, attention is not important for its own sake, but because it has instrumental value. Uh, more precisely, um, attention can get these producers some other things they, they would like, uh, possibly money, prestige, and so on. So despite the obvious good intentions be behind some, some, some new technologies, like the apps helping to fight, fight obesity or um, smoking, um, ethical questions still abound. Persuasive technologies might have undesirable consequences. They might cannibalize the uh, user's attention, finally burdening rather than liberating them, or they might employ problematic methods of persuasion. Or simply, they might persuade users to do something that is morally unjustified. So uh, the very practice of technological persuasion is, is problematic in itself because it might be seen as a threat first and foremost to human uh, autonomy. It could, it could also be a source of moral laziness or it could be a, a path to technocracy which lets designers rather than uh, representatives of the people or the, uh, uh, or the people themselves uh, influence or steer behavior. And this, I think it's um, an echo of Habermas' critiques, uh, famous critique of um, technocracy. 
So although by and large, all the, all the affirmations that I, I presented earlier are um, a bit exaggerated, they nonetheless capture one essential um, observation. People don't feel anymore uh, that the new technologies are liberating, but on the contrary, they describe them as being burdensome, opaque, time-consuming, and manipulatory. In a word, the tools we surround ourselves with um, have become counterproductive. So James Moore, who is a pioneer in computer ethics, warned us many years ago that as technologies will enter their power stage, um, ethical problems will only increase due to policy and conceptual vacuums. But uh, what he stresses also is the fact that the outcome of technological development is certainly not inevitable. Uh, this means that we can affect our futures by choosing uh, which technologies to have and how technologies that we pursue will be used. So the question we must ask ourselves is how should we choose? And I want to stress in this presentation that uh, we should choose those technologies that foster conviviality um, as this concept was uh, developed by um, the maverick philosopher and paradoxically also a priest, uh, Ivan Illich. So before going into what conviviality is, I want to give a methodological uh, answer first um, to the question we, which, which kinds of technologies we should foster. So my proposal is to start from uh, uh, the end user and from this perspective to reflect upon some general criteria that should inform technological design and also policy making. So um, instead of uh, first thinking about what kinds of technologies we want to create and develop and then work out the social implications, um, we should work from what would be the most useful to users and uh, when I say useful, I'm not only referring to, a, from a, to this from a functional point of view. So we should start from the end user back towards embedding this uh, end user's pers perspectives and concerns into the tools and artifacts we create. So all the, all the statements that I presented earlier from the uh, journals uh, show us that technologies are actually not neutral, but that they are mediators. Um, they implicitly or explicitly shape uh, human actions and perceptions by giving shape to the relationships um, between users and their environment. And this would be the, um, I must admit, my post-phenomenological uh, inspiration in this part. So technologies, be they software or devices, are not simple instruments or tools, but active mediators in relationships between humans and the way they construct their lives and shape the world around them. So um, although uh, this end user perspective has many affinities with uh, um, user-friendly or uh, user-centered uh, software design analysis, uh, I chose it mainly because I think it's um, a more, it's deeper and more uh, comprehensive in that it doesn't treat um, users just as customers, but as actual citizens or true ends for software functionality. So, um, because technologies are not functional tools, as I said earlier, uh, they don't have fixed identities or user uses because they don't come into being only, in they come into being only in specific contexts of use. So theoretically, this would mean that um, both designers and users would have the power to shape or invest a certain identity in the technologies they use. 
but on a practical level, uh, users are situated differently, uh, meaning that they possess unequal degrees of power and unequal levels of awareness and also of technological knowledge. Um, so most often it's designers, those who, who create the mediating role of the technologies we use on a day-to-day -day basis. So this is, I think, the perfect recipe to counter productivity, um, which is a concept developed by Ivan Illich uh, when he analyzed the, our modern technologies. So counterproductivity, and this would be the epitome of counterproductivity, uh, refers precisely to, a, to the phenomenon where technologies are being created as means to some specific end, but finally they end up subverting that initial purpose. So all kinds of persuasive technologies, are, I think, are uh, good examples of um, uh, counterproductivity, for example, um, 50 minutes is the average amount of time that users spend each, each day on Facebook, according to the company's CEO, who was very proud of this fact. Um, that might not seem like too much, but um, according to the Bureau of National Statistics, it seems that it's more than any other leisure activity that people engage in. It's more time than uh, people spend reading, exercising, or attending social events. So it seems that Facebook started uh, as a company that has a, a, as, uh, a mission, the goal to connect people in order to empower them, um, but generally it ended up uh, becoming a service that cannibalizes time. It seems that um, uh, Facebook traded their initial mission um, for some uh, you know, instrumental goals like attracting their users uh, attention by manipulating some non-rational biases like, um, for example, the need for social recognition. So the, this con context of use um, is of course not beneficial to, to users, although it's very profitable for the company as a, uh, as a whole. So instead of empowering us, Facebook traps us in uh, filter bubbles or echo chambers, as they are also called, which actually uh, end up weakening social cohesion. So in a word, Facebook has become counterproductive. And I think this is not the only uh, example we could use. So what would be the, the, the um, response to counterproductivity? Um, and I think uh, here we could uh, use Ivan Illich as a guide. Um, he was an Austrian philosopher. Um, and in his widely ignored book, um, tools for conviviality, um, he tries to set a framework for analyzing uh, men's relationship to his tools. So he starts by observing that sometimes modern technology becomes counterproductive, meaning that it uh, begins to be less unambiguously effective in meeting basic human needs. Ivan Illich stresses, quote, that people need new tools to work with rather than tools that work for them. And quote, more precisely, they, they need tools that offer them the right to work with high independent efficiency and which increase each person's freedom rather than, um, rather than instruments that just solve problems for, for users. So Illich's fear was that he, we may be serving tools instead of having tools that serve us. And um, I know this sounds a bit uh, um, like a doomsday warning, but uh, 
he wasn't skeptical about technology. Um, he was just trying to, to affirm the need for a critical appraisal um, of the tools we use so that we avoid what he was exaggeratingly, and I admit it, uh, called uh, the enslavement of men by machines. And he was not thinking about fictional scenarios like robots, uh, robots taking over humanity, um, but about very concrete possibilities that uh, we start to observe on, the, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, which is the fact that people become dependent on the technologies they use, they blindly trust them, um, they let themselves be led by them, um, and they um, believe the rhetoric of mechanical objectivity that surrounds them. So before delving into uh, Illich's insights, I want to clarify two things. First, uh, Illich defines tools as uh, the category of all rationally devised devices. Um, thus, a tool is any explicitly articulated rational structure, be it material or cultural. But because this definition is a bit too vague, um, I chose to only focus in this presentation on technological artifacts. Uh, on the other hand, conviviality would be individual freedom realized in personal interdependence. So a convivial society would be a society in which te technologies or tools serve uh, interrelated individuals rather than managers. So Illich was provoked by the observation that as the role of machines uh, increases, the one of users or persons is diminished to mere consumers. So in today's society, um, individuals have um, a, wide range, uh, a wide range of technologies to choose from, uh, but they have no say in how things are made because uh, so they are trapped in uh, already given uses, especially when they lack the technological uh, knowledge for really understanding how technologies work. So um, <coughs> there Illich also says that some technologies are by their nature flexible and accessible, they are convivial. Um, so Illich's idea was that um, uh, technologies can be both convivial and non-convivial. So convivial technology is properly limited technology so that people don't have a sense of not being able to live without it. A possible key of interpretation is to understand Illich as stressing the importance of autonomy of the will in the use of the tools and technologies we use. So this autonomy would slowly transition to heteronomy if the way in which people use uh, uh, tools would be determined by engineers and designers or advertising managers or any other kind of external manager. So in a way, conviviality is a way of stressing the need of considering um, personal autonomy in the process of designing the tools we use. But by, by conviviality, and this is uh, really important, Illich also wanted to make explicit the implication of community decision-making in design. So although there, there many, many are skeptical about such a possibility, um, I think it would be beneficial for uh, at least three uh, reasons. The first would be that the public involvement promotes the ideals of democracy, so even though we think today that democracy is failing, it seems that we have no other, no better option. Um, so insofar as experts decide for, for the citizen, 
for the citizens, they cease to <coughs> function as an active force in democracy. And these are actually already uh, um, expressed concerns in um, uh, Sunstein's uh, well-known book, Republic.com. Moreover, uh, public participation is also a good way of avoiding technocracy, as I said earlier, avoiding the domination of, uh, of uh, external uh, experts. And secondly, uh, public involvement would be, would be beneficial because, because it will also promote uh, better decision making and social cohesion. More precisely, it would force people <coughs> learn how to engage in an exchange of ideas. And thirdly, uh, people have a right to say in those decisions that affect them. Um, so convivial tools, therefore, are not, not only faster individual freedom, but they also foster interconnectedness between individual. More precisely, they emphasize uh, the benefits of the community. They also encourage uh, creativity, as they are not controlled by any one institution or organization. And more precisely, anyone uh, uh, can learn how to use them and can use them for their own purposes. So all, all, though this, uh, all, all, everything I said earlier might seem uh, plausible enough, I think that for, for a designer it would be a, a little bit too vague and uh, all-encompassing. So um, instead of a conclusion, um, I will try to sketch some concrete criteria by which we can judge if a certain technology is convivial. Um, and uh, I will do so by identifying the particular context of the two fundamental values identified by Illich, namely uh, individual freedom and uh, community, community de decision-making, and which, when exercised together, foster conviviality. So um, in the first group, individual freedom and autonomy, uh, the first criteria that should be met should be uh, flexibility. A technology should be used as the user wishes. For example, software should function regardless of, uh, of the device it runs on, and the user should also have the possibility of modifying it if he or she wishes. The second criteria is transparency. One should be free to know how the program works. Um, here, where I, uh, I uh, differ, where this criteria differs a little bit from the open source movement is um, the fact that I think that access to source code is not a necessary condition uh, because most of the times users don't really care about the direct availability of the source code, but what they care about is the fact that they can be given explanations and that they can understand how the technologies they use uh, work. And this criteria would also foster what uh, uh, Professor Mihail uh, Radusolkan from the uh, uh, Department of Philosophy from Bucharest uh, called an, a knowledge ethics, which has an, as, uh, as an objective uh, the process of the generation of knowledge and is opposed to a mind your own business um, ethics. And the third criteria in the individual freedom or autonomy is simplifiability. I don't know if this, this is actually a word, but uh, I wanted it to convey the fact that uh, one should be free not only to improve, but also to simplify uh, a given program or technologies, uh, because uh, complicated artifacts clutter not just one screen, but one's life, um, 
with uh, the concerned technology. In the uh, second category of community cohesion or co community decision making, the first criteria would be sharedness. Um, one should be free to share the technologies or the results of the technologies uh, with uh, anyone who, with who she wishes. The second criteria would be creativity. One should be able to tinker, hack, or remix a technology and present it for others. And the third criteria would be stability. One should be able to rely on these technologies um, in order for the other criteria to be fully exercised. So I admit, of course, that not all these criteria can all be checked uh, uh, in some cases. And some of the values I used here are already uh, present in the um, FOSS movement, which would be free, libre, open source um, software. Um, and um, what I want to stress is that this is, of course, not, not, not a proposal for regulation, because I think it would be impossible due to the clash with the, the intellectual property laws. Because anything that is uh, algorithm-based is protected by um, trade secrets, I think. Uh, and so the, these services would be hidden. Um, what I want to propose instead is to encourage the development of, uh, of technologies that foster conviviality so that we reach a balance between convivial and non-convivial tools. Because Ivan Illich wasn't stressing the fact that we need to eliminate completely non-convivial tools, but he was saying that we need uh, some sort of a balance between tools that empower us and tools that might uh, um, um, manipulate us. Um, so we need to think of ways to encourage people to use convivial tools and also um, we should uh, um, teach them um, the perils that are encapsulated in the other uh, technologies that would be non-convivial. Um, I think that the same kind of process ha happened for privacy uh, because of, uh, um, for, for a certain, at a certain time some companies didn't care too much about privacy but users started to demand um, services that protect their, privacies, their, pri their privacy and so they were offered uh, um, these uh, utilities. So I think this also could be the case for technologies for conviviality. We need to have more conversations uh, in the public sphere about how we would like our technologies to look like and what would be the values we want to instill in them. So I will end by um, uh, with this um, quote from Ivan Illich. He says that a convivial society should be designed to allow all its members uh, the most autonomous action by means of tools least controlled by others. To the degree that an individual masters his tool, he can invest the world with his meaning. To the degree that he is mastered by his tools, the shape of the tool determines his self-image. Convivial tools are those which engage each person who uses them to the greatest opportunity to enrich the environment with the fruits of his or her vision. Thank you.